Welcome back to Dating After Death, a podcast dedicated to the journey of finding love again after losing your forever person. And I'm your not-so-anonymous host. Today's episode is different. We are talking to Randy Wolfson, who runs the Instagram page Grief and Grits. And Randy has worked in family therapy and grief therapy for her whole adult life. And she, like us, experienced deep grief in her life. When she was 10 years old, she lost her father, which is a story she will tell us. The reason I wanted to talk to Randy is because if you're like me and you have kids who are going through this, your mind is constantly wondering, what is it like for them? What are they thinking about? What are they experiencing? How can I help? How can I hurt? And like, what are the, how do I manage this? It feels just like such a added layer of complication. So Randy has some very tangible things to offer us. She has some stories to tell about her experience. And if you are also parenting children of grief, I would strongly encourage you to continue listening. This was a gift to talk to Randy, and I am so thankful for her participation in the conversation and would love to hear from you about what you got out of this episode as well, because I know these things have been circling in my mind since we talked, and I am just so thankful for her. So let's get to it so you can hear all the wonderful things she has to say. So hi, Randy. Hi. How are you? I'm great, Instamom. Yeah, I have this to say, a- I, love, I love my title. <laughs> it's the sweetest. Um, so Randy, I wanted to have you on because for people who know you, they know your story, maybe that you lost your dad when you were 10. And obviously, I want to hear you tell that story. But I have had a lot of requests from people to talk to somebody in your situation who was a child watching their parent walk through this. So I'm really glad that we're connecting so we can hear your experience. I am too. I'm so honored to be here to be able to try and shed you know, a little bit of light from the vantage point of a child who, who was there. And even yeah. though it's now 57 years later, wow. uh, you know, I still hold memories and feelings. So it's, it's wonderful to be able to share what I can. And did yeah. you have, do you have siblings? Yeah, I have one brother who's four years older. So he was 14 when my dad died and I was okay. 10. Yeah. So Randy, can you start by telling us your parents' love story? Oh, yeah. I love their love story, actually. My mom was only 18 years old when she met my dad. Hmm. And he, she was in school to become a dental assistant. And he was in school after having served in, I believe it was the Coast Guard, you know, for World War II. They Very met forward at, thinking of your mother at the time, too. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Uh-huh. I, even though she went to school to become a dental assistant, all she wanted to do was get married and have mm. a family. This was 1948. And yeah. so they met at school. He fixed her up with his best friend. And Mm. she went out with him. And of course, all she wanted was my dad. And uh, finally, they went out. And in six months, I believe, they were engaged. And and in a year, they were married. 
So it's a sweet story. I mean, it, he was 25. He was 25 and she was 19 when they got married. Okay. And so like two little babies, really, within a year or two, they had my brother and then me four years later. My dad became a school teacher, hmm. was a very well-loved school teacher. Yeah. Unusual in those days for a male school teacher. There weren't too many of them around. Uh, and yes. I felt really lucky because my dad came home at three o'clock every day. Yeah. So I was a lucky little girl and he let me, in those days, you graded papers with a red pencil and of he course. would let me help grade papers. <laughs> and, you know, I felt 10 feet tall, of course. Yeah. yeah. And what age children did he teach? He taught fourth and fifth grade. That's great. Mm -hmm. And how did he die, Randy? He uh, contracted leukemia when he was mm. about 36 and a half years old. And he was sick for three and a half years. He died at 41. Okay. But my parents chose to not tell us. And they actually oh. only chose to tell very few people. I think both sets of their parents, aunts and uncles, and maybe his very best friend. But other than that, they didn't talk about it. So when my dad died, for me, it was like a sudden death. I had no idea oh. that he was dying. It's interesting because it, with leukemia, you know, I look back now at pictures and I can see his sunken eyes and yeah. I can see, you know, that he wasn't well. But, yeah. you know, and children see that and feel what's going on in a home, I believe. And so I'm sure at some level I knew something wasn't right. One memory I have is that he and my brother used to kind of wrestle around together. And at one point, mm -hmm. I remember he had to stop doing that because he was bruising. Mm. He didn't explain what that meant. Yeah. And so I do carry that memory without really having any context or understanding of why that was. The work that you do is in working with children. So how did that experience of your parents not talking to you about it inform the way you approach children who are grieving and Looking back on that, what do you think yeah. about that approach? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. So I don't work in the field anymore. I did for about 15 years or so. And when you say in the field, you mean directly with children? Yes, correct. Okay. I'm I'm retired. Oh, <laughs> just writing wonderful books. <laughs> and wrote my wonderful book. And I, and I focus on my Instagram and Facebook page. And that's how I educate today. But yeah. I did work for many years in grief support. So I worked with grieving children and adults at a grief support center and okay. also trained various professionals in the topic of grief. So, you know, it really became the topic of my heart and something yeah. that I yearned to do for many years and really didn't start doing specifically until I was 50 years old. And oh, I'd wow. like to share that with people because sometimes we feel like it's too late to start doing something. And I found my real, real passion at the age of 50. Two things about that. The first is that for me, and I'm sure for lots of other widows who feel like they find themselves reinventing their lives, I find that incredibly inspiring. Because I'm like, I don't want to do what I was doing before. I'm trying to basically shift my whole life. So to hear that and that you made a whole career of it, I find really comforting. Oh, so thank you for sharing that. Yeah, I, I mean, I'll just share with you that at a very young age, I became a marriage and family therapist. Mm -hmm. And um, and then I uh, ended up being home raising children. After some years of that, I thought, you know, I feel 
like I must go and work with grief. I just knew that it was something I would be able to understand well, that I did understand well. And I knew I had a good ability to hold the feelings of other people. And especially when it came to grief, it just didn't scare me to talk about death and dying and grief and all the great big feelings. And so, yeah, so I was able to find that work at the age of Mm -hmm. 50 and and did it for many, many, many years and then uh, left my job about five years ago and started my page Grief and Grits and and wrote my book, Eddie's Brave Journey. And which you should definitely buy and read if you have children it is fantastic. Uh, thank you. Thank <laughs> yeah. So in answer to your question, though, of course, yes, that informed everything about how I think people should talk to children. And, and mm-hmm. um, anybody who follows my page knows that I incessantly talk about the language that we use, that we don't use euphemisms, that mm-hmm. we have to use real language, death, yeah. died, dying. Because euphemisms are confusing even to adults. I've heard adults say, you know, a doctor told me, you know, we lost your person. And they stand there staring for a while, not understanding what that means. So, um, Can I give an anecdote of this exact thing? Yes. The day my husband died, I was teaching kindergarten. My associate teacher decided to tell the class that I had lost my husband. One of the little girls in the class stood up and she said, we are excellent finders and we are going to find him. And she she was convinced, right? She was like, let's go, everybody. It was so sweet. We're going to find him, you know, and she told me that story and I was just like, why did you say that? You know, it's so confusing for them. Yeah, exactly. You know, and I've often wondered, my dad died on January 8th and Mm -hmm. so they were on, in those days it was called Christmas vacation, not winter break. I think about how those children, you know, they left for Christmas vacation with Mm -hmm. a teacher and came back to their classroom without. And I've always wondered, you know, what was it like when those children came back and how was it explained to them? And I can't imagine that in 1966, somebody came in and you're talking about three years ago and somebody didn't know how to really explain it. So you can imagine in 1966, how much it must've been avoided at all costs to really help these children find a way to process what might've been their very first experience with death. Mm. So you had this sudden death of your father as you experienced it. What was the aftermath like for you as a 10 year old girl with a 14 year old brother? Yeah, it was, you know, it was scary. Mm -hmm. It was scary. It was confusing you know, to have this person that you loved more than anything. And as I said, we, you know, we had a, we had a good close relationship and I knew I was well loved by my dad and to suddenly no longer have him there was just, it was scary and confusing. Those are, I think the two biggest words you know, we often think grief is just sad and mm. uh, it's so much more than that, you know. Yeah. When he died, did your mom tell you what had happened and kind of the backstory? Yeah. So I, I love to tell this story because it's just the perfect example of what not to do, oh, which gosh. was, which is, you know, my mom sat me down it was a Saturday morning. Um, we had been sent over to my grandparents' house because he had gotten really, really sick. And mm. I believe 
ended up in the hospital and died that Friday night. And my mom sat me down at my grandparents and said, God needed another teacher in heaven. Uh, and of course, I had no idea what, what she was talking meant. about. Yeah. And then, of course, I'm sure very quickly after that, I don't have much memory after that, but I'm sure yeah. I understood pretty quickly after that what she was talking about. Yeah, you know, I, I don't remember exactly when I was told what had happened to him, that he had been sick and all that. I don't think it was too long after that because I carry a memory of knowing that information yeah. all my life since okay. he died. Yeah. Was there part of you as a young girl that was angry with your mom for not letting you into that process or letting you say goodbye to him? or Not as a young girl. I don't think I understood really that part of it. Yeah. Like that you had that option even. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I definitely came later. And what I will say is that at about the age of 12, I started having anger bursts is what I like to call them. Some people call mm -hmm. them temper tantrums. Um, sure. And what I, of course, didn't understand until much later was that was my way of saying, pay attention to me. Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't know how else to express what I was feeling because mm -hmm. nobody talked about it. I will say that the one thing that my mom did well was she talked about my dad and we as a family talked about my dad. So th that was never pushed aside to be able to talk about my dad, but there was no understanding of grief and yeah. all those feelings that come with that. When my dad died, she later told me that she went to the library to look for a book and the only book that was there was something about now that you're a widow, here's what you can do about your finances. And oh, that gosh. Was yeah. So, so she was probably I, pretty alone as well. Yeah. There, there was a group that she joined called Parents Without Partners. Oh, yeah. And it might still be around. I remember that from Sleepless in Seattle. Yes. Yes. One of my very favorite movies. Yes, yes me exactly. Too. And, you know, in those days in... 1966, 67, most of the people were divorced. Mm. There was a young widow and a young widower that were in the group that she found. And of course, they gravitated towards each other because mm. they understood each other. But yeah. again, it was very social. It was just people to get together with. So, but there was no processing of grief. Sure, of course. There's definitely an, an unspoken understanding, I think, between those of us who are walking this journey. There are so many people in this widow community that I feel like you and I would have never crossed paths ever. You know, you're 25, you live in Montana or something, and here we are telling each other our closest secrets in the depths of our heart because we have this shared thing. Yeah. And, you know, I can't even begin to tell you how it fills my heart to watch your community, you know, mm -hmm. the, the community that all of the widow and widowers have come together to form. It's really, it's amazing. And it really is about my 35 year old mom who yeah. had nothing like that. And yeah. so it's just so beautiful to watch and, and observe. So your mom watched those two fall in love, it sounds like. So when did love come into her life? Well, I was thinking back to when she first dated, and I want to say 
it had to be under a year mm-hmm. um, after my dad died. I think it was somebody who knew my dad somehow and asked her out. Oh, and she, okay. And she went. <laughs> I don't remember exactly when she told me this, but I remember the story that she went out and the whole time was looking all around the restaurant thinking somebody was going to see her out having an affair. Yeah. Yeah. Because she still felt married to my dad and probably had no business going out on a date yet because I don't <laughs> think she really understood what she was feeling and, and yeah. you know, what was going on for her inside. I think that bit about feeling like you're still married, though, is very relatable. Yeah, of course. Especially when, you know, that's what your whole life goal was to be married from the time, you know, she met him at 18 and and could never have imagined, of course, as you know, uh, being in that situation. So she, she went out on that date. Did they become a thing? Did they go steady, as they used to say? No, I don't think she ever went out with him again. (laughs) But she did start to go out with somebody else, and that went on for a little while. And was she open with you both about it? Yes, yes. Okay. Do you remember having feelings about any of that? This person I really liked, and Mm -hmm. I remember being okay with this person. I think there were a few other people she dated and I remember not being happy about it and not liking being left at home, probably with my brother, you know, (laughs) and um, I just didn't like it. Yeah. And then she was fixed up, had a date, I believe it was September and she got married by February. Oh, Mm -hmm. That was quick. Yeah. 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 So I was part of a blended family and it happened very quickly. I was turning 12. Mm -hmm. You know, there was good and bad. You know, it was exciting to gain some new siblings and Mm -hmm. move into a new home. And it was also very confusing and and sad and because I still really wanted my dad. Yeah. You know, it's hard to blend two families. Yes. I I would love to talk to you about that. I have a quick question though about the process of her deciding to get married. Did she talk to you both at all about that, about the decision to get married or was it sort of like he proposed and on we go? Yeah. You know, it's funny. I I have a hard time remembering that, to be honest. Um, Okay. I think we were all kind of brought together and all kind of told together. Okay. And, but I don't remember necessarily being sat down separately to say, sure. what do you think? And it may have happened. I just don't remember it. Sure. But I think, you know, nobody can tell anybody else what to do and right, how to move course. forward in their life. From a child's perspective, I think it's really important to acknowledge how hard it is to blend mm. two families and not that it can't be done and done very successfully, but it, yeah. you know, again, I'm going to go back to the context of the time because I do think it was very different. Yeah. And in some ways I know it's not different because yeah. we still are all talking and trying to educate about grief. So there's still yeah. so much that people don't talk about that is still taboo. But I do think in, in 1968, when she did remarry, you know, wasn't known to get therapy and mm-hmm. 
really make sure that you're talking about the, each person's feelings and what is this like and what is it like to move into this and how, how do you do that gracefully and yeah. successfully? You know. So as somebody who has spent all of your life working in this area, can you tell us, obviously everything is handled differently and the scenarios are so different, but in your circumstance, not in 1965, if you could take your circumstance and put it now, how would this have been handled perfectly in your mind? Slow, slow, mm -hmm. slow, slow. I think it's incredibly imperative that adults the parents mm -hmm. either find support, therapy, some way, and I know that everybody does not have access to therapy, Yeah, but there are ways to get help for free. There are grief support groups for free. Any yeah. way that you can to find understanding first about your own grief. Yeah. Because if you don't as a parent your kids somehow become responsible for your feelings. Mm. And children really should important. never be responsible for their parents' feelings. How did you feel responsible for your mom's feelings? Well, I think that because my mom really had no access to getting her own kind of understanding or support, she was not able to, in a clear-headed way, understanding her own grief, that she was still grieving, yeah. you know, which we grieve our whole lives. But I mean, mm -hmm. she was, I believe that she was still in fresh grief. Mm -hmm. So I think when, when an adult doesn't understand their own grief, it spills over. Then children are scrambling to not want to hurt you more than you're already hurting. Yeah. Children shut down. You know, when I worked in, in grief support, often parents would call and say, you know, right after the death, I've got to get my kids help. I've got to get them in. I've got to get them into support. Mm. Mm -hmm. And the truth is, it was the parent who needed to first get their own support. Yeah. The example being when you're on an airplane, you put your, you know, the, the adult oxygen puts on their oxygen first. mask first. Yeah. Because that's the only way that you can properly care for your child. And yeah. it's the same way in grief. Yeah. I am going to take a pause in the episode here to do a plug for BetterHelp. Well, if that isn't a plug in and of itself for therapy, I'm not sure what is. Randy makes a very good point that therapy isn't accessible to everyone. And I absolutely know that that's true. This is also one of the reasons that I appreciate BetterHelp as a means of therapy because they do have a sliding scale for what you pay based on your income. So if money is something that prevents you from doing traditional therapy, this could possibly be a really great route for you. It is certainly worth looking into. And if you go to betterhelp.com slash dating after death, you will also get 10% off your first month's membership. So go ahead and check it out. Okay, so as you blended families, what were some of the things that were hard about that? What do you think went well? What could have gone differently? We need your help, Randy. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I and I do want to be respectful because there are other people that are involved in this and so I'm going to speak in very broad generalities. Yeah. I think that the main thing and I I guess I've already said this but I maybe I can't say it enough is really 
talking, really sharing, really understanding, I think, too, what both adults are really looking for. I think that oftentimes adults are looking for two different things. For example, I think that my mom really was looking for a husband, Mm -hmm. not even necessarily another father for her children. Yeah. I think she really wanted a romance, a romance and a mate. Mm -hmm. Sometimes two parents come together, you know, two adults come together and maybe one person is looking for another parent for their children and Mm. the other parent is not ready to take on these new children. Yeah. And so there can be conflict that way. So there's so many things that come into play. I think that often when you find love and you find romance, my God, of course, you're excited and you want to move forward as quickly as possible and jump (laughs) into that and feel love again and be taken care of again and all of that. But now there's so many new layers to consider. And so that's what I would really want to caution and impress upon people who are wanting to blend families the importance of, you know, and what the children are feeling. I'll I'll, I'll give you a a little tiny story that it feels so sad for me to tell it, but I think it's important. And I think it's something that gets overlooked. We had made a decision that we would try calling the other parent, mom and dad. Okay. Now I was this little girl who was grieving so hard for Mm -hmm. my dad. Mm -hmm. I I did not really want to be calling anybody else dad. That makes me want to cry. We wanted to be the Brady Bunch. Yeah. And now in those days, you know, you had like one or you had two phones in the in a household, and (laughs) one was in the back of the house and one was in the front of the house. And I remember the phone would ring, and if the phone was for my stepdad, I couldn't yell, "Dad, Dad, phone for you." I remember mm-hmm. walking from the back of the house to the front of the house where he was sitting so I could say, phone for you, because mm-hmm. I knew that I couldn't say his name because we had agreed yeah. to call each other's parent, mom, or dad. But I oh, couldn't gosh. say dad. Oh. So but I had So no when you say we agreed, that. what does that mean? Does it mean we agreed meaning my siblings, my new siblings, my step siblings and I mm-hmm. decided this is what we would do. Were they older than you or younger than you or mixed? Uh, in? one was about my age, close to my age, and one was close to my brother's age. Okay. But I had nobody to tell that to and nobody yeah. was aware of that. So mm-hmm. the little you know, the little hurts that we carry grieving mm-hmm. children that might not be seen. But if there's no discussion and no opening of conversation, how is a parent to know that? And how is a child to know that they're safe to talk about that? Yeah. All of this personally for me is very affirming considering my relationship is in the slow path. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And my former mindset in life is always pushing back against that. There's always this part of my brain that's like, you're supposed to get to the next thing. You're supposed to move in. You're supposed to be co-parenting at some point, right? But then like this new version of me that's like, this is too complicated. I love him desperately, but I don't really want to do all that. They're at odds a lot. So it's nice for me to hear you say 
take your time. And I think the other thing that we do pretty well is we have the hard conversations all the time. He and I about what do you want? And what do I want? And it has taken us a while to come to the same place of being like, oh, actually, this is what we both want. Yeah, that's so wonderful to, you know, to take your time to understand, because I think, I think that's what grief is about understanding boundaries, Mm -hmm. and the boundaries the new boundaries that we have to find for our grieving hearts, you know, and what and who we want to let in and keep out and, and, you know, how much we let in and keep out and, and all of that. And I think it's a constant learning and, and Mm -hmm. understanding. And so I, I love that you're doing that because otherwise I think it's, it does spill over to the children. Yeah. And I mean, you know, also I, I don't feel ready to give up my old life totally, you know, and I I assume they don't either. I do have this question for you. So I posted the other day about, I just am genuinely not sure how much agency to give my children over the time we spend with them, because I know it's really important to build relationship between my children and him and the kids together and me and his children. But like, I feel like the older they get, the more they're going to be like, I don't want to do that. You know, like now they're kind of flexible, but how much do I say, no, this is what we're doing as a family. And how much do I say, like, I understand you don't want to do that. We'll find something else for you to do today. Yeah. Your kids understand that you're in a relationship. Yeah. I mean, we've been together for a year and a half. They've known for about a year and we are at the point where we're all hanging out together every once in a while. And are you getting pushback from the kids about that? Um, they're pretty good. I feel like they know it's important to me. And so they don't want to push back too much. Like they've been very lovely, which also makes me worry a little bit like, oh, no pushback. Um, we did all spend the night at his house this past weekend. And they were sort of like, we don't want to sleep over, but he lives an hour away. So it just made sense. I could logistically right. talk them through that. But that just had me, you know, sort of on like antennas up. Okay, they're saying no. How much do I push and how much do I listen? Yeah. Well, so what I will say is always listen and then provide opportunity to talk it through, you know, and hear what they have to say. I don't think there's ever anything wrong with listening, hearing their point of view. Obviously, it's not up to children to run the show. Yeah. Yeah. It's important that they know the adults are the people in control, but their feelings are always valid, you know, in terms of hearing them. It does not always mean that their feelings will be granted per se. And there also might Mm -hmm. be ways that some of their feelings can be thing. I think there's lots of ways to compromise. And, but I do think it's always important to listen and, and hear. Yeah. Okay. I love that. Some people were saying, and I was agreeing that It's important to give children choices, even in a bigger choice that they didn't necessarily make, right? And like, as a teacher, I think about this a lot. Right. Yeah, we're all going to go there. That's not really the choice you have today. But, you know, you can help choose where we eat dinner or, you know, the little things that give them this sense of like they have some ownership over it. Absolutely. You know, it's the old, you know, you're going to get dressed today. Would you like to wear the pink shirt or the blue shirt? Yeah. Yeah. And um, yes. So I think that's wonderful. Yeah. I'll just throw one more thing out. And I think that it's really important for 
parents who are, you know, dating somebody new, I think that one of the biggest fears that children have, and I say this because I did work with grieving children for quite a while, one of their biggest fears is that they will not be able to talk about their parent who died anymore. Yeah. And that suddenly their parent will no longer be a part of their life. And the other big fear is that they will lose you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I think there needs to be um, space for that conversation to happen too. When you say lose me, I'm using that in quotes, do you mean physically like as in my death or as in they would lose my time and attention to this new relationship and this new family? Yeah. I I mean, I'm talking more about that, but it's also important to know that one of the biggest fears that children do carry is that their other parent could die. Of course. And And as is mine. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. And um, so, you know, we're just so afraid to have those conversations. Mm -hmm. They're thinking that anyway. Yeah. So here's a question for you. You know, I try not to put too much of this in through my own lens because I know my story is just one of many. But in talking to you, I can't help but do it because I'm thinking about my situation, right? So I hope this is applicable to other people. My boyfriend very much is in the, I am here to talk about him. I will follow your lead. I will follow the kid's lead. But he doesn't force it. My kids always talk about my husband when we're with my boyfriend. It's like way more than when we're not with him. They are just like, hey, remember, my dad was a guy and I love that. And we encourage it. We have full conversations about it. Do you think it's important for him to also be asking them questions or is this okay for him to sort of like follow their lead? Well, I think it's, I think he can easily bring up, you know, hey, we're going to go to the movies today. What do you guys remember was your dad's favorite movie? Or was there a movie that you loved watching together with him? You know, those, that's also like grief work, by the way. You know, Mm -hmm. we often think we're only supposed to ask kids, you know, how do you feel? And you know what Mm -hmm. kids say, I'm fine, right? So we have Mm -hmm. to kind of maneuver our way into uh, other ways to get them to express themselves. And Mm -hmm. I think it would be lovely, you know, if he felt willing to include your husband in conversation, you know, and obviously that depends on what his security is. Sure. Oh yeah. He's very secure. It's, it's not that I was just thinking like, do you think for the children that that goes a long way? I do. Yeah. But, you know, he, you never know. Maybe for them, they'll feel like, Hey, don't intrude on mm. my dad, but I think it's worth trying. Yeah. That's good. That's really good. So just last question, I think about sort of your childhood experience. Is there anything that you, aside from having the conversations, are there any things at all that you think are overarching that you really wish would have happened that didn't? I think um, what I think is very valuable and mostly because I watched it for so many years as I led grief support groups, I think that it's really wonderful for kids to connect with other children Mm. who have experienced death. Okay. I really do. And there are many free grief camps, Mm -hmm. grief support groups. Many schools are also offering grief support groups. Hmm. There's a lot of value in that for kids to meet other kids because I think often they feel like they're the only one. Yeah. Except for their sibling. You know, or, you know, it, it, and I know that in your community, 
I know that some of the moms have gotten together with children and, and yeah. I think that's wonderful too, you know, to meet mm-hmm. other kids. I noticed Camp Widow is doing a kids camp that runs at the same time, I think, as the adult camp. Oh, that's wonderful. So I was thinking that maybe I'd bring my kids to that. I love that advice. That's really good. Yeah. So as your own adult woman, how did this grief affect your relationships and your love and the way you looked at marriage and all of that? Yeah. Well, I will say it did not deter me from wanting to get married. Maybe in Mm -hmm. some ways it pushed me even more to want to, I think, almost like recreate, you know, to be able to have Mm -hmm. what I did have at one point as a child Mm -hmm. and then what was missing, you know, after my dad died. But I think most people who experience death carry this feeling of when is the next important person going to die on me, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. and and, um, that became very present as I began dating. And very panicky uh, if somebody were 10 minutes late um, Mm. or we happened to separate, let's say, at a mall. You know, I I remember panicking, you know, where Mm. where is he? Where is he? And not really understanding a lot of what that was about Mm. at first. And here's something else that I want people to know. You know, I was 10 when my dad died. The first time I really had any therapy around grief was a good 10 years later. So I was in my early 20s. And that was a choice you made on your own or someone else suggested it? Yeah, it was a choice I finally made on my own. I knew that I was carrying that little grieving heart inside and I knew I could you know, I think I was beginning to feel like the panic and the anxiety and, and just knew that it was time to delve into this and begin to understand it. And I had yeah. therapy throughout my life at different times because as you age, as you develop, as you formulate into a new person mm. through age and all of that, new understanding comes And um, so I do like people to know it's never too late to begin the process of understanding your grief and delving into it. That really played a part in dating and, and, you know, panicking and anxiety and, you know, wondering when will this person leave? And Mm. so I think that's important to understand because I would love to see people get understanding for that much earlier than I did. And gain the knowledge and the tools so that when those feelings crop up, there's a way to understand and hold yourself and hold your own heart. Was a lot of that fear and anxiety that whoever you were dating would actually die? Or was it about, was it hard for you to trust that they were going to stay emotionally? I would say and, both. I would say oh, both. interesting. Okay. And at what point did you recognize that? Was this detrimental to relationships for you or just a struggle for you personally? How did it actually play out? I think mostly it was just um, a struggle Mm -hmm. until I found the right person and the person that would become my husband and Mm. was willing to love me anyway, you know? I think he understood the little 10-year-old grieving heart inside of me. And thank goodness. 
were you able to recreate that family life that you had as a child? I think so. I think mm. so. That's beautiful. You know, no family life is perfect, but of course, um, to be able to have a family of my own was very meaningful and, and important. I have a question that I, I know a lot of parents in the community find that their children have this real intense separation anxiety. In my children, it comes up in tiny little ways. Like if I'm walking 10 steps ahead of them, they're like, wait for me. Wait, wait, wait. Don't go. Right. And I'm like, I'm right here. You can see me. It's all good. And sometimes it's much more intense. Like, please don't leave me for the day or the night or the hour. Well, I hear from many people that it's difficult for them to step away from time with their children to take care of themselves because they feel either guilty or like their child can't do that. Like they cannot step away from their child for the night or the day or the weekend. Do you have any advice or suggestions for that scenario? Yeah, that's so hard, isn't it? Mm -hmm. It's because I think that anxiety is very real for the oh, yeah. children. Obviously has to be paid attention to. And there's probably, you know, all kinds of little tools that can be helpful for children. Mm -hmm. And I think any ways that you can reassure them. But it is important that you find a balance because obviously you are going to have to walk out of the house and you are going to have to leave because that's life, you know. Yeah. There might be little ways that will help them feel re reassured, you know, making sure that maybe somebody that they really love to be with can stay with them, you know, yeah. while you leave. Make sure it's a, you know, a person that they trust and love and yeah. that they know that they, you know, maybe at a certain time they can call you. Maybe not a free for all because if you're out somewhere that you can't be taking a call at all yeah. hours. So maybe, you know, like setting up with them, I will be available to you at this time for you to call me yeah. or I will call you at this time. So I think it's just taking lots of little incremental steps and really acknowledging their fear and don't to not make them wrong for feeling that way. Because I think it can yeah. be easy as a parent, you know, you're frustrated and you want to leave totally. and you want to go. Totally. And, and so we can end up feeling angry at our child for that. And so I think it's remembering to hold some compassion and understand where their fear is coming from. Yeah. You know, one of the most important people in their lives dropped off the face of the earth. Mm. And that is scary. Yeah. Yeah. Such good advice. Do you think there are things that we haven't talked about that given that you have an audience of mostly young widows that you really want to say or tell us? I think that maybe just to reiterate, please take good care of your hearts. Mm. Pay attention to your grief. It's so important for you, for your children, and to make sure that you're not relying on your children to take care of your hard feelings and your big feelings. Yeah. I think that's a really important thing to let your children know. I think it's important to do some grieving in front of your children. It's mm -hmm. natural to cry. It's natural to yeah. feel sad. I don't think that you want to be exploding with feeling in front of your children because it's not their responsibility to take care yeah. of your really big feelings. And so that's why I say, please make sure that you're attending to your own heart. And yeah. that to remind your children that, you know, I feel sad too, and I miss your dad too. Mm -hmm. And we can cry together and we can laugh together, but mm -hmm. I want you to know that you never have to take care of me. 
and that I am here to take care of you. Yeah. What an important message. Thank Mm -hmm. you for that. Randy, I cannot thank you enough for doing this. It's so important for those of us who are parents just to hear your perspective and to see that you have lived a beautiful, thriving life despite having gone through this. And you are by everything I can see a lovely human. (laughs) Thank you. It makes me feel like hopeful for my kids. And it's also just practically helpful to hear what you have to say. Thank you. And, you know, I, I feel again, just so honored to have been asked to do this. And, you know, I think it's important, of course, just to say that, you know, this is one person's point of view. And, you know, I'm sure if you asked 100 people to do this, you'd get 100 different points of view, obviously. Um, But I hope that something I said might be helpful to somebody else. And I just want to say that I have so much admiration for you and the whole community of all that you are all doing and providing and giving and, and, and you're part of that very, it's so hopeful and i just am grateful for you thank you ah it's a love fest <laughs> absolutely <laughs> all right randy thanks thank you for having me bye bye so good right i just loved that if you are interested in hearing any more about how my kids have processed this I have done a conversation with them both on the Patreon as well as for a little short episode. So if you go back to season one, you will find that there is a conversation with my kids, which was pretty early on in our dating relationship, but I think it's interesting to hear their perspective on things. Thank you always to those of you who have followed the show, left reviews for the show, shared the show on your social media. It really means so much to me. And I think it is helping people so any more of that that you can do is always appreciated i know the holidays are coming i know it's a hard time of year i am sending love as we all navigate this together until next week this has been dating after death